0: Today I'm gonna to ask you a few questions about mental health in Singapore. What do you know about mental illness? So I just know there's depression. Uh, How
1: do you say that? Uh, biopolar disorder.
0: The wire, short circuit. You know. This guy's crazy. sell all these kind of words. Has nothing to do with me. Would you hire somebody with mental health condition? I'll probably you know make them work in a you know, you know uh, admin site. Super greener or some simple job them. Either they hurt themselves or they're going to hurt someone. Then, if you're a mental illness, you apply for a job. But who in the right sense would really want to... Prompted by the finding in the 2016 Singapore Mental Health Survey that one in seven Singaporean adults have experienced a mental health condition in their lifetime, the National Council of Social Service launched its Beyond the Label movement to influence public perception towards persons with mental health conditions. In this excerpt of a social experiment on mental health stigma you just heard, the video featured two moderators who had been clinically diagnosed with that depression and were currently in recovery, asking questions to participants about mental health in Singapore. In the context of the ongoing pandemic, parliamentarians and psychologists raised concerns when psychological treatments were considered as non-essential services, albeit with some exceptions. The website of the Ministry of Health had listed that outpatient rehab slash therapy services and other allied health services such as dietetics, counselling, social work, psychologists and podiatry were non-essential and later added that face-to-face consultations would be allowed if patient's met certain criteria. In a letter to today on April 15th, doctoral candidate and mental health researcher Jonathan Quack argued that while COVID-19 should remain the main priority, I quote, mental health and relevant support should and can be considered alongside our response to the pandemic and not reactively after the crisis blows over. Calling for outpatient mental health and therapy services to remain open and for individuals to seek help if needed. Jonathan also highlighted the problems with labeling patients as unstable or stable. The preference for face-to-face services with safe distancing measures over teleconsultations, as well as the challenge of building therapeutic alliances. I'm Yao, and this is COVID-19 Community Chronicles in Singapore, a socialservice.sg podcast. With the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, We hope to use this podcast to document community initiatives in the country and to discuss related structural or systemic challenges. Today, we focus on mental health in Singapore. The designation of psychological treatment as a non-essential service is an obvious starting point for this podcast, but it also seems appropriate to both consider the state of mental health wellness and advocacy in the country before the pandemic as well as our aspirations for where one want mental health, wellness, and advocacy to be in the future, when the circuit breaker and the pandemic are over. For that, we turn to our conversation with nominated Member of Parliament, Anthea Ong, who is also the founder of the social organisations HashTiBa and A Good Space. 51-year-old Anthea has been an advocate for improved affordability, accessibility, and quality of mental health services, who started her advocacy even before her appointment as nominated MP in 2018. Her maiden speech in Parliament called for the prioritization of mental health, and Anthea and her team have since launched a public consultation on mental health care in the country. Now, here's my full conversation with Anthea, recorded on April 25th. I was particularly interested not just in her motivations and perspectives, but also the evolution of her thinking, concerns during this circuit breaker and pandemic, and her important calls to action. Yeah, so you know, I thought we would frame our conversation as I mentioned, you know, pre-COVID, yeah. COVID, and then post-COVID. So, you know, yeah. pre-COVID, you've been an advocate for improved affordability, accessibility, and quality of mental health. But you know, prior to your appointment as NMP, you do you remember when you started your advocacy on, on mental health?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, and actually, it's very clear. Um, it, it's actually, I can completely go back to my colossal collapse, right? Which is now um, 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that collapse, when I say colossal, I really mean coloss- colossal because... I was um, dealing with a, uh, a broken heart because I found out that my ex-husband was cheating on me. Mm-hmm. And that uh, suddenly um, sunk me into a mental state that I never thought I would. Uh, I suddenly had a, had a close shave, a brush with depression. Although as I went to the psychiatrist, um, they didn't think that I was clinical, right? But I definitely sought help Um, Not just through the medical services, but also every other way, because at that point life, as I knew it, just completely, you know, was um, ripped off from under my feet. And so I was desperate. There was such a sense of displacement. Um, And and I fell from a very high place because prior to that, I was, you know, a high-flying corporate uh, executive. You know, I was running... um, Businesses for MNCs across um, different countries and all of that. And, and, and at that very point in time, I was also um, uh, an entrepreneur. I started my own technology, education technology company. And so that's that leads me to why it wasn't just my mental state or my heart that was broken. Um, my business was also very much affected. In fact, it, it did become a collateral damage of this... Um, this, this whole state I was going through. Uh, and I won't go into the details, but it just, it was just too unbelievable, even now thinking back, because my ex-husband being involved with a business with me, um, you know, with the breakdown of the marriage, actually he then um, unfortunately decided that he wanted to um, get back, you know, at me through the, through my business. Um, with very many legal suits against the business, so the business really became a collateral damage of that. So I also lost my business, which is, um, you know, which was my baby. By then, I had already had it for about seven years. I ran it for seven years, um, and and then because of the lawsuits, uh, I also had to deal with a broken bank account, and so that's what I meant by colossal. And so you can imagine that um, I was really in a deep dark hole. Uh, at one stage, I remember when. The ATM machine showed only $16. Uh, I was 38. Having come from such a um, illustrious um, journey up to that point, um, I definitely contemplated the distance between my 18th floor apartment and the ground. And and so I know, I mean, it's from a very um, personal, deep personal experience. Um the way I actually got out of it really came from a very strong support system I have. I had and I still have. And that was in the form of family and friends. Um that was clearly also um, in the form of what we talked about earlier before we started this interview, that that we we have the resources, you know, whether it's our education, our family, um, academic, um, you know state or uh, status, Um, it allows us to be able to sort of come out of it because there are enough resources for us to hang on to. Um, I think everyone deserves that, but not everyone has that. And so that started me with this um, very deep, passionate, uh, focused, determined um, journey um, in advocacy. But I have to be honest, before NMP, I was my advocacy and my whole idea around um, mental health and mental well being really was done through actions, right? Because I'm an entrepreneur, I know business. And so I started the first project called Project Yoga on Wheels because I became a yoga instructor. I then started, um, and Project Yoga on Wheels is actually bringing uh, yoga um, classes to all the different charities for their clients. Um, as a service and then I started Circle of Bliss which was a um, and it still continues all of this is still um, going on right now so Project Yoga on Wheels is about 10 years old now. Um, circle of Bliss which is a community meditation circle that I run in my home actually every week um, that still continues and that's really a coming together of working professionals um, and then Hush obviously which you already know of. Uh, and then, of course, with the NMP uh, and and wings even actually even wings um, for the elderly, uh, for the for aging and women, and so all of that really comes from a place of well-being, but very specifically uh, in mental well-being.
0: And you know, you mentioned that I I imagine that deep, passionate focus you mentioned translated into that maiden speech you made in Parliament two years ago in 2018 and then since then i think we've had conversations about you starting a public consultation on mental health care in singapore and then you recently yeah. in the latest budget call and i quote you into a whole government approach towards mental right. health i guess right. the first question would be how has how do you think your thinking has shifted you know across those two years since 2018 you know from 2018 to right now
1: right um <laughs> how has it shifted Um, That actually is since, um, you know, no less complex, but as we surface um, and find out even more of an issue, especially outside of my own circle, right, which is what um, got bubbled up and what got uh, revealed um, through the public health consultation. Uh, public mental health consultation we really didn't think that there would be four hundred uh respondents in other words complete strangers to me um, actually come forward to share and I think um, the 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 sense that I have through, in terms of the state of our mental health care in terms of the the level of awareness um, you know and the, and the and and the level of stigma that we are dealing with that I knew initially from my, I guess, my own echo chamber, um, you know, really the, the public consultations shed so much light. So I think going to your question about, um, you know, whether my thoughts have changed, it's a why my thoughts over the, the last two years, I think a big part is that it is really a complex um, um, challenge that we are dealing with as a society um, and I and I guess as an NNP, having you know tried every opportunity, every bill there is to highlight the mental health um, um, challenge, you know, to policymakers to the House, um, has also really um, unveiled to me and revealed to me um, where the government um, stands with mental health. And, and also interestingly, um, at, at, especially you know as a journey, I see how when I first um, had my maiden speech, not even my maiden budget speech, but my maiden speech was all actually um, for the employment amendment bill. And I spoke about how we need to bring in mental health into our um, workplace health and safety act which is completely physical health and safety. Um, you know, there wasn't even really a deep sense of acknowledge or any any real acknowledgement, I would say, right in that speech. And then, if you look at it, you know, in the recent budget speech, um, you know, the government certainly has acknowledged, but also um, is planning to do a whole of government review you know, of their mental health policies. And so that I would say has been the most illuminating for me and definitely the most fulfilling for me the two year journey in advocating mental health as a member of parliament in, um, in the chamber. Um, but the issue is complex. It's for me um, also unveiled from a ordinary citizen, doing what I could uh, in starting those projects that I shared with you, um, to now being able to see at a systemic level, um, it really calls up so much that needs to be done. And in, in, in a way, I have to still say, as I made the call in parliament last year in my maiden budget speech, that I think the only way we can tackle and address this challenge, which is as mammoth as you can think of, uh, as it can be, we're going to do it the way we actually dealt with diabetes. You know, the way we, we, we dealt with any of these really large, complex, society-wide um, challenges that we deal with as a nation, as a country. Um, if we continue to patch states, in terms of policy, in terms of how we deal with it at the community level, I um, I I I feel and fear that we are not actually going to be able to address it comprehensively, and and therefore we will not avert a mental health crisis. You know that we are clearly trending towards that way because our mental health um, prevalence um, is showing increase. Right, I mean from one in ten. Uh, in 2010 to now one in 10 Singaporeans are experiencing a mental health condition um, in their lifetime to one in eight and then one in uh, seven and then you know and and I know it's it's actually I mean you are a researcher and if you talk to the actually principal investigators of this study uh, we all know that actually the numbers are higher because the research was done with very specific conditions in mind right? So it's not representative of what's really happening um, in the society.
0: I wanted to cycle back because you, you know, you fairly mentioned that it's complex, it's a systemic level. Um, Maybe if I could push you the, the diabetes kind of analogy, right? What would the campaign model after the diabetes campaign for mental health and mental wellness look like in Singapore?
1: Yeah, so we started a little bit of it. Um, the first stage is awareness, which was also what happened with diabetes. So the national campaign that was launched by NCFS called Beyond the Label, that's a good start. And I think, um, you know, basically the awareness is to is to um, try to change narratives, right? Um, but I, I see it in, in three steps, right? and this just came out, by the way, so I'm going to see if I can articulate it. So The first step, I think, is awareness, um, which we are, we are doing, and this is, I think, the phase that we are in, although I think it needs to be more widespread. You know, the discourses that, if we are going to raise awareness, then we must know what is the narrative we're trying to change. Um, and that um, helps in um, dealing with the stigma that is very entrenched. And the stigma is not just... Um, the stigma that we think about is a structural stigma, right? That structural stigma um, ha- has come out also in ways that um, the government, right? The policymakers, how they actually narrate mental health. And I think that's come up in, in a few speeches that I have actually made and, and even in some of the discourses that I had with, um, you know, the political uh, officer holders. So one was when I shared about, the treatment of self-inflicted injuries that that should actually be um, covered and not excluded in Medisafe um, when when the response was that oh, we we excluded it because we don't want to encourage such behavior right that, that shows a lack of understanding of you know of that, but it, it was it perpetuates um, you know the stigma that's associated with mental health, uh, and in this case, particularly with suicide. And same thing when I had the exchange um, in terms of why, why are mental health people with mental health conditions being excluded from blood blood donation? You know, and and the answer was, oh, because they would not have the capacity to decide for themselves. And um, you know, was the response. And so that narrative also shows that, well, first of all, it was actually in conflict with the mental health, mental capacity act. Which, which actually says you must assume uh, capacity first, unless proven otherwise, right? So, so all of that means there's awareness piece that we need to you know, work on. Um, you know, uh, and then the second part of it is awareness. Uh, so awareness, then the second part is acceptance, right? We must accept that this is, this is a um, complex problem, um, that we need to deal with as a society, but also as a whole of government. And that acceptance needs to then translate into how we, um, you know, create um, policies and design policies and the policy interventions that will help to shape that. But then that acceptance then, and that, that then shapes social norms, right? New social norms and new social behaviors uh, that clearly then helps with the awareness aspect of it because it helps to... Um, break down the stigma and all of it, but the acceptance piece, I think, is what we really need to work on right now. Um, and and that would be in in um, comparing it to diabetes, is is accepting that yes, we need to we need to recognize we accept that sugar drinks are causing diabetes, right? Uh, you know, um, eating only white rice um, is actually you know also aggravating the situation. So the acceptance. Uh, needs to come, because without acceptance, our action, which is the third piece, I think our actions would not be um, comprehensive and would not really go to the root of the issue. And so right now, I feel and fear that we're jumping from awareness to action without actually having the acceptance. And therefore, it's not as, um, I think, as effective as we, 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 we can be
0: that's, yeah, that's, that's interesting. No, that's interesting because I guess the three A's, the awareness, the acceptance, the action. I mean, the interesting segue for me would be because you talked about the acceptance as being the important piece here. Mm. And this leads me to, um, you know, the COVID times when, you, yeah. when we were dealing with the de- designation of, or rather the omission of psychological sur- treatment from the essential services list. And this is something you've spoken out about. And I guess the question yeah. here would be, you know, if, you, if you're talking about it being a complex systemic issue, then where does that change for acceptance come from? You know, or rather, is it one source? Or so I guess, how do we unpack this acceptance bit for? Yeah,
1: us? no, no, it's, it's, um, and that's a very good, um, good way to actually get me thinking as well. Is it one source or is it actually, it's obviously not, it's um, multidimensional. Um, but I think for a country and a society like Singapore, where we are still right now, Um, the changes that the government makes in terms of um, policies, uh, in terms of their narratives and priorities, um, would go a long way, right, to at least galvanizing and rallying um, the society at large to be able to start thinking about this new, um, um, these new ways of looking at mental health, right, and so one of the things that I have brought up, as you mentioned, why psychological services and treatments um, have been left out. So I've been very vocal. I, I am disappointed um, with it um, first being excluded. Then it got included when we sort of you know came together. Then it got excluded again. Um, and this is at the start of the first circuit breaker. Um, why I think it shouldn't be, well, first of all, with the exclusion, I think we are basically, again, reinforcing the... Perception and the narrative, right? Um, that it is not mental health is not a priority. That's number one, uh, especially being a critical priority in a time like COVID, right? So it it actually demonstrates and highlights to me a complete um, a complete um, ignorance, um, and I don't mean ignorance in a in a in a derogatory way. I mean as an you know, it's completely out of sight, right? It's out of sight that mental health is a critical priority that that needs to be clearly seen as essential. And especially at the beginning of this, uh, the first circuit breaker, uh, um, the likes of bubble, bubble services, uh, high uh, cutting services, um, bubble tea shops were listed as essential, right? And yet psychological services and treatments were not. So then you think about wow, what is our, you know, priority in society? Um, So that's one part of it, right? The other part of it is um, psychiatric treatment, obviously psychiatric services are still available through the hospitals because the hospitals are still open, right? But when you highlight psychological treatments as non-essential, we are then also perpetuating, um, actually in this case, I would think incorrectly that mental health care is just a medical medicalized um, healthcare approach. It's not, right? Studies, including that from WHO, have conclusively shown that mental healthcare, especially quality mental healthcare, and effective mental healthcare, needs to be paired, you know, both with psychiatry and psychotherapy. You know, and and that that I think um, shows again a, either a lack of awareness um, of what is the, the critical components in the care and recovery process for a mental uh, for a person who lives or who actually struggle with mental health condition you know so the exclusion really um, I think it really highlighted um, the acceptance part of it that's still not there you know in the three a I think the acceptance aspect of it um, was very highly. Um, obvious to me, with this exclusion.
0: And I guess, w- and I guess, with that, with the exclusion itself, um, what are your biggest concerns during this circuit breakup? Because we've heard anecdotes and stories in the press and through social media, what are you most worried about in terms of mental health care in Singapore? Is it a potential blind spot or what are the areas right. we should be looking out at right now?
1: Right. I think when we don't have, I mean, actually underlying all of this, especially in the awareness part of it and as exceptions that that actually comes with, you know, um, the, the, the way we convey, you know, mental health is priority Um, And therefore, we accept that this is actually um, a a condition that any one of us can have. You know, it is not only to specific groups. So we don't create that deeper sense of um, inadequacy and insecurity and definitely a deeper sense of self-stigma, right? Um, and, And even worse, denial, if we actually create even more denial. So... My my concern is that when we actually do not accept this mental health um, challenge as a critical priority, and especially in COVID nineteen, then we would actually discourage uh, help seeking behavior. And and that really really concerns me, Janiel. Um, You know, I think that there are enough. Studies and, and there is enough research, but I wouldn't um, go into that, although I have been looking at it a lot. Pandemics, right, um, really brings about psychological carnage. And that is because it triggers not just, it aggravates um, the conditions of people who are already having those pre existing conditions, but it certainly also triggers psychiatric um, disorders, even the healthy right? And that's been, you know, studied. And on top of that, you know, we have this lockdown that's an extended period of lockdown. And so I feel that um, my, my deepest concern with um, COVID-19 is that if we are not making a more open and accepting narrati- narrative about mental health, we're going to have more people actually um, really stuck in their cave you know. Uh, and in this case, um, literally as well and not uh, wanting to help. So that's number one. In terms of the different spots, um, blind spots, as you said, um, the different groups, maybe it's not blind spots. I would say what are the groups that I'm actually especially concerned about? Clearly, um, the ones who are already um, living with existing uh, conditions, pre-existing conditions, right? Um, in particular, I, I would I highlight that I'm very concerned about those living with OCD conditions um, you know, the, this this kind of um, infections, disease crisis um, where the fear of contamination is already there for um, those without this condition, for those with those conditions, um, it's so much more heightened and it really can trigger um, in a big way. Um, so those with um, conditions, I'm, I'm concerned, I'm very, very concerned. I hope they're getting the, the support and, and that's why I'm really concerned about them not getting the face-to-face support. That they need. Um, The other group would be those already um, with suicidal tendencies, Um, and that that I personally um, have been actually uh, approached by very many, some strangers who have reached out. um, Whether they have lost their job. In fact, um, an acquaintance two weeks ago almost jumped from his flat because he's lost all his gigs as an event MC. Right. So that's one. so that, those group, that, that group I would also be very concerned. Frontline workers, uh, especially healthcare workers, I'm exceptionally concerned. And that's why I highlighted in my um, speech two weeks ago in parliament to ask the Public Services Division um, to make sure that if, if, if we can, to give all service servants, but particularly the frontline healthcare workers, the necessary uh, mental health um, support because Wuhan Wuhan has already highlighted that even as the COVID-19 situation is easing as a public health crisis, another public health crisis is um, actually uh, emerging. A lot of the um, healthcare workers are suffering from psychological traumas uh, and many of them are struggling. Um, I I think the other um, group that I've been very vocal about in the last couple of weeks um, would be the migrant workers. Right, And I, I think um, these are large numbers. They are now in complete lockdown. Unlike um, you and me, um, they can't get out at all. And so if not even for essential um, errands. And so that is a deep concern there. You're talking about large numbers um, living in cramped um, quarters, right, crowded quarters. Um, that's a big concern. But it's not just the non-domestic migrant workers in dormitories that I'm worried about. It's also in those in non-dormitories Um, But also the foreign domestic workers, I'm also concerned because they are living with their employers uh, and some also, you know, in in really um, um, crowded um, spaces, right? Um, So, and that's 24-7. So I'm also concerned and I really would like, you know, to put out that employers, if you you have, um, you know, make sure that you take care of your foreign domestic um, helpers. Um, who else? I think um, we we know that um, job losses are going to be um, rampant and widespread and so speaking to the CEO Gaspar um, Tan of uh, SOS um, he, he thinks that as more people start to lose their jobs and I know around me there are a lot uh, losing their jobs suffering from uh, major um, economic carnage um, that that he actually is raising up that team and the capacity to take on more calls. Um, last but not least, um, the other group that I'm deeply concerned of are those who are actually suffering from domestic abuse and violence. Uh, that, that group, I mean, AWARE, I think has reported that the number of calls they're receiving to get violent, uh, violent violence, uh, family violence hotline, and the sexual assault center has has actually increased by as much as um forty percent.
0: And and that's a large number of group. And I think you're right to not characterize it to correct me to say it's not a blind spot. These are things that are coming up on a day-to-day basis that should be paid attention yeah. to. And I guess that links me to the final part of the uh, final question actually, because you gave us this framework of awareness, acceptance, and I guess the final part is action, right? And
1: yeah. I guess the yeah. big
0: question here is and since you talked about the importance of identifying where the government stands. I guess the way I'll frame this question is, for those who believe and align with your belief in improving affordability, accessibility and quality of mental health care in Singapore, how do we start or how, where do we go about to start, not just identifying where the government is, but to actually yeah. shift that position and say, you know, this is something that's critical, this is something that we should pay attention to and yeah. how should we go about doing that?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think it's a very um, important question. Um, you know, even in my own advocacy journey, um, it's something that I, I must, um, you know, bear in mind, um, that it, it, is, it takes a whole of society um, to be able to address this, especially now in, in the COVID-19 uh, crisis that we're in. Um, I think first and foremost is, uh, I think many people have said this, um, but as an individual, we, we really need to reach out more. Right? Um, that's, that's a start. That's, that's a start to reach out more. And, uh, and, and for those who feel um, uh, encouraged and supported enough, please come out and share some of the mental health challenges that you are going through. right? I, I feel that um, especially now that we are primarily all living in cyberspace, given that we are all in fiscal lockdown, um, that it will be really um, you know, assuring for a lot of people, if um, we all start to share a little bit of that mental health challenge that we are facing. Now, as I always shared, um, we need to start thinking on mental health, not as um, polarities, right, but as a continuum. Um, every single one of us through our lifetimes would be at some point of that continuum. There's no way anyone can say, I've never on this been on this continuum because how can you, how can you, not have gone through having had some level of loss, um, had some uh, major challenge whether at work or in school um, that you felt anxious about or you felt depressed about or sad right or angry and I think um, if we can start to share a little bit more of that um, it would then create a more supportive cyberspace um, and virtual environment for all to say, oh, actually, I'm not alone. Let me share a bit more of that. Um, and, and I think this is especially important because as if we don't have access now easily to psychological treatments and services, especially if for those that trigger come from their family and you know um, the family environment, then then where are they going to get the support, right? Um, so I hope that. You know, by, by sharing that, that helps to make it okay for them to feel this way. Um, so that's, that's at, the, at the interview. Then, of course, you can reach out still to, um, if you are really feeling um, that you want to do more, you know, then, then really just check in on, on, um, on groups that, you are, that, that are not really your friends, but, you know, even your employees, for example, you know, um, your teammates, for example, and so go further in your circles in terms of reaching out. Um, because I feel like this this crisis has given us a great opportunity. And I, and I said this in my speech, don't let this good crisis go to waste, right? It is as much as there's a physical distancing that we're doing. Let's actually get socially closer. And especially for the groups that you never thought of, you know, um, bring closer to your circle. Let's do that. Um, if you feel you have the resources and the capacity and the inclination, please go and volunteer with the different groups that are providing this um, support, like the Singapore Association for Mental Health, Silver Ribbon, um, even IMH. There are call lines um, that would need you know uh, volunteer support to men and all of that. So so those are the different options that we can do um, to try to actually um change and impact how you know the whole society starts to shift in in terms of this narrative Um, on on the the part about the government stance i still think that there's a lot of um you know merit in all of us sharing with our mps as well Uh, not just about our personal um issues that we want them to help us whether it's parking fines or you know what's going on in our estate um, but really bring up issues like this, that if you know there are uh, neighbors in your, you know, in your blocks uh, that may be struggling, um, then reach out. If, they, if you don't know how to reach out to them because you can't go out of your house, you know, go and talk to your MP or your um, you know, um, town council and, and ask them to come and offer help um, or you know, the community agencies in your estate, in your town reach out to them. Ask them to come and visit because they are whitelisted. They can actually come and knock on the doors and, and check on this fault. So I think those are the things that we individually can still do as an ordinary citizen. Um, but I also think that for those who are really struggling, I would like to put it out to them. Please, please reach out to these um, services that are available. First and foremost, I'm very thankful um, that you know uh, MSF has a heated the call of many so now we including myself in the speech to have a national helpline so we have a national hotline um, national care hotline um, for those in singapore is 1-800-620-6868 so please call out um, it's meant by a group of volunteer psychologists uh, counselors therapists and some trained public officers as well uh, so do that Um, and and of course there are different agencies that you can reach out to Silver Ribbon SOS Singapore Association for Mental Health Shanyo Counseling Clarity Um, please please uh, reach out um, for help um, if you need
0: I guess the final and I promise this is the final quick question I mean because you mentioned don't let a crisis go to waste right are you more pessimistic or optimistic about you know, when this is when at some point when the circuit breaker ends and when the virus pandemic is over, yeah, would it fade into the background because there's so many things that are going to come up or with mental health, are you more optimistic or pessimistic about progress in in, in Singapore with mental wellness and mental health?
1: Right. Um, Very optimistic, actually. Um, Because I think this crisis has actually, and I spoke to a lot of employers. I also spoke to even policymakers, to be honest. I think this um, this crisis has really surfaced, you know, a lot of what would usually take longer to surface, and so therefore it's really so visible now. What used to be um, invisible um, is now really visible, and so then um, you know, the awareness piece that we wanted to, do, to 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 do for a long time, I think that awareness piece is kind of okay. You know, we've actually. Um, definitely sorted that out. So now we're definitely the acceptance and actions piece. So the reason why I say I'm very optimistic is that I think um, it, is, it is now impossible, right, to not, in trying to deal with what is going on now in mental health, to just do band-aid patch, patch fixes. We know we can't. Yes, there's some groups and there's some areas that you need to immediately urgently put in patch fixes but what has come out for a lot of us um in in whether advocacy or policy making or even for the ordinary citizen um even the ordinary citizen is starting to understand what it means to be um mentally challenged right or emotionally challenged I have even folks telling me that, oh my goodness, I'm an introvert, and even I am struggling, you know, with isolation. You know, what more people um who are extroverts? You know, they must be really struggling. So so that that deep sense of empathy um is definitely um emerging. And with that, I think it, it definitely helps in acceptance when you have empathy. Um, so I'm optimistic. I think um the government has already um, announced some of the changes that they will put in place and uh, will keep pushing. I think um, the general um, society, the society at large, um, there's never been more conversations going on about mental health than it is now, right? And and the whole emotional being and well-being. There's never been um, that many um, activities online that deals with mental well- wellness, right? Than it ever been. And I don't think any of this are just for COVID-19. A lot of this would also um, become a norm. It will be a new normal, uh, which is great. Um, I I think that at the employer's level, which is very important, the employer is a big, big stakeholder in how we tackle mental health because every one of us works for someone, right? Um, And every employee is a member of society. And therefore, the employer's role in actually now realizing that, uh, and i was sharing that uh, in the speech, uh, COVID-19, in COVID-19, mental health is workforce health, right? If you don't look after the mental health of your employees, then there's no workforce health uh, at all to talk about. And so that is going to be, and I know for a fact, a lot of employers are now instituting this into their, um, their normal and typical uh, employee um, you know, support services and practices. So I'm very optimistic um, in terms of how we're gonna come out of this um, COVID-19. And I, I really wanna share this. I think it is so humbling you know, to have this tiniest of organism, which you can't even see with the naked eye, um, to remind us to take a pause at so many levels right? And to then uh, illuminate for us all the cracks that were invisible. And now these cracks are no longer invisible. Uh, The cracks in society, the structural cracks, uh, our own cracks, right? In terms of our relationship with with our family, our loved ones and friends, but also with society, with our community um, in general, but more importantly with ourselves. So it actually has definitely illuminated some of the cracks that we never knew you know we never knew that we struggle with um staying at home twenty four hours with our husbands, our wives, and our children um and and those cracks are some some of them are actually unfortunately translating into breakups i know um but I think it it really is important for us to take this opportunity with the crisis uh and not 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 let it go to waste by really understanding who we are given the time that we have been given to pause and and reflect on that but also more importantly who we are to each other and I think um, if we do that then we have not let a good crisis go to waste but more importantly we have not failed ourselves in going through this crisis Mm -hmm.
0: And that's it for our episode today. Thank you to Anthea and thank you, the listener, for joining us. Please also share other initiatives or issues which you think should be highlighted. Email me at sppkjy at nus.edu.sg That's sppkjy at nus.edu.sg. You can also subscribe to the newsletter and the podcast at tinyletter.com slash sg. Thank you very much and see you next time.